Hello, happy people. Welcome to the Profitable Happiness Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Profitable Happiness Podcast. And with me today, all the way from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, is the Swagger Coach. The Swagger Coach. I can't tell you, Leslie, how much I love your concept of being the Swagger Coach. Leslie is an author. She is a coach. She's a trainer. And here's something else she is that just connects with me. She is a longtime musician that has taken her transferable passion into the world of business. Leslie, how are you doing today? Okay, I can see this is going to be an energy bomb today because the combination of you and me, I think people's hair is going to move when they hear this podcast, this episode. It's just going to be electric. I'm so thrilled to be here. This is so much fun already. I'm loving it. Fun. Oh, awesome. Now, tell us, you know, look, one of the things I love to hear, you know, is the story of becoming that, that happens to creative people like yourself. Like, you know, how did you get from Leslie M, who was the singer, who was just this creative person, to being at the top of the world and training Google and developing companies and now writing your book, which is the the swagger book that you're that you're going to share today. How did you make that transition over time? Wow. Well, I my life has been this sort of series of a combination of accidents and opportunities that I was fearless about because I believe that when opportunities present themselves, you got to take a good look. You don't want to get you don't want to let it take you off your path. But but sometimes our path is much wider than we think. There are a lot of ways to get to our place of purpose, a lot of different ways. And we don't know when we're at the beginning of the path, what that's going to be. Mm. So I started out, my passion when I was when I was young was music, singer. I was obsessed with all things sort of soul, new wave, punk. And I loved British music. I started my first band when I was 16 years old. And then when I was 19, I actually moved to the UK to pursue my passion. I wanted to be a, you know, a big new wave star. And um, by accident, the, the, the guy that I met that became my music partner also happened to be the head of acquisitions at a film company, uh, the UK's premier independent film company at the time. So I kind of double locked into two worlds. As we were writing music and looking for record deals, I was also involved in the film industry. So I would go to film premieres and I would be hanging out with film people. And I'd always been a writer. That was the kind of my background passion. So I fell in love with screenplay and, and story. And he would give me scripts and say, hey, do me a favor, read this, tell me what you think. This led me to doing script analysis for him at the same time as we were looking for our deal and I was singing and doing all the things that don't make you any money. <laughs> uh, so um, I started working as a script analyst, which I turned out I was pretty good at, which led me to be a script editor and a script doctor for companies like Palace Pictures and Miramax and Working Title and so on and so forth. Uh, eventually, I started to broaden my horizons in the music world. And I started doing the jazz circuit. I, I worked with some incredible people and I became a little bit more fearless in, in my voice. You know, you step into yourself as, as you get older and I became more fearless and stepped into that. So did the jazz circuit to make money um, for a long time. And then what happened, which was another weird kind of left turn in my life, 
because I had gotten so involved in script editing and script doctoring and story and structure, I figured, hey, I know so much about this and I have tons of ideas. I'm going to start crafting TV proposals and try and pitch them to TV companies to see if I can sell one. You know, another way to make money because, you know, I was an entrepreneur. So that's what I did. And on this one occasion, I went, I was pitching an idea to this very big um, production company in the UK and always brought my A game, right? Always bring the dog and pony, bring your full self, go full swagger whenever you get the opportunity. So I'm pitching this idea with like all of the action and da, 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 da. And the guy who owned the production company, who, by the way, was partners with Bob Geldof, Bob Geldof from the Boomtown Rats. Remember old school? He was one of the partners in this. So his partner, a guy named Wahid Ali, said to me, you know, you should be on camera. And I said, of course I should be on camera. (laughs) Clearly you're a genius. And they hired me and gave me a talk show, which was incredibly exciting, except for one thing. They wanted me to be Jerry Springer. I wanted to be Oprah. Uh-huh. So there was a little bit of a disconnect uh-huh. in this situation. You know, my dream was coming. It's like, I'm going to be white Oprah. That is going to be my jam. I'm going yeah, to, I can do this. Yeah, like- I can live up to the Oprah thing. I mean, I was such a massive fan of Oprah. And, and really because what she did was gave people a platform. You know, she gave important issues a platform. She connected authentically. She was 100% herself. She was such a badass. I loved her. Uh, yeah, so the Jerry Springer thing didn't work for me. And it didn't take long before I went, yeah, I'm out, peace out, peace out. I'm going to go and do other things. But I realized now that I had an agent, I had a profile, and I ended up doing TV um, for a bunch of years. But I didn't love it. I thought I was going to love it, but I felt very limited by it because it was a very controlled platform. And I very much, everything I had done to date, if you track it, it was all about communicating stories. Mm. It was all about being a passionate communicator of stories and having a platform from which to communicate. So when I had that big aha, I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to move back to Canada. So I moved back to Canada in my mid-30s with really no saleable skills. Really, you know, I wasn't going to go back into the film industry of which there was a lean industry in Canada. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to work on TV anymore. Didn't know what the heck am I going to do. So I figured that looking at the at the the um the experience that i'd had to date i thought look i'm really i'm really experienced in writing i'm really experienced in multimedia i understand media across the board and i'm a very passionate writer and communicator so i talked my way, in, way into an ad agency <laughs> and they hired me as an intermediate copywriter and within about 10 months i was creative director of one of the biggest agencies in canada wow so i went oh okay i get it i'm doing yeah. my thing so I did that for, for some years, but I really started to recognize the first time I'd really worked in, in the corporate world. And you might not think advertising is corporate, but it is in its own way. Mm-hmm. It has those structures. It has the politics. It has, and this was a big global ad agency. So yeah, it was, it was as corporate as, as agencies get. And what I started to recognize was how much this environment impacted human beings it changed them. It made them behave in ways that were not cute. They were not pretty. They were not authentic. They were not likable. They get all of these things. And I saw what it was doing to me. I also recognized that um, there was a whole bunch of fake it till you make it going on in that world. And I am not down for fake it till you make it. And I, I came home one day and I said to my husband, you know, 
I feel like I'm using my superpowers for evil instead of good. Mm. I just want my people to be better the next day. I want them to feel more confident. I want them to believe in themselves. I want them to feel more skilled and more adept to bring this creativity into the world. Mm -hmm. And I can't do that from the inside. So here's what I'm going to do, babe. I'm going to quit my job and start a training company. (laughs) And he said, you're going to say what, what the, what, (laughs) but babe, babe, first of all, you, you hate training. And second of all, you are totally untrainable. I said, right, <laughs> right. Who better to start a training company than someone who hates training and he's <clears throat> untrainable? Because if I can create experiences for people like me, I'm going to kill. This is going to yeah. be great. It's going to yeah. be great. And I'm going to start off by serving my people. I'm going to serve my advertising people. And so that's what I did. Wow. I started a training company. Yet again, tapping into all of that storytelling all of that creativity, mm-hmm. all of that experiential stuff, you know, the fact that my parents had owned a children's summer camp played into it because I was used to working with big groups and stuff. And <clears throat> I launched my first training company. Wow. And it just took off like crazy, like crazy. Within four years, four, I guess about four, four years, we were developing and deliver, delivering Google's global marketer training program and traveling around the world with my team of trainers. I had a, you know, my team and just we were accomplishing incredible stuff. And awesome. we, we moved beyond the, the ad industry. Mm-hmm. I, I never thought people would want, want what we did beyond it. Turns out that's not true. And before we knew it, we were training, you know, technologists on, on creativity and we were, we were training, you know, Companies like Disney and PepsiCo and Uber and Lenovo and TD Bank. And it just went on and yeah. on and on. So wow. that, that was kind of the lead up to all of this. But yeah. then I had my aha moment. We were talking about the Damascus moment. <laughs> okay. Here was the thing. I started to recognize that Regardless of the subject matter I was training, presentation skills, communication, storytelling, creativity, regardless of the company, regardless of their culture, regardless of the level of the person, status within the company, 99.9% of the people that I trained did not believe that they could succeed just by being who they really were. They all believed that they had to do the fake it till you make it. And that if they showed people who they really were, they were not going to find success. So, you know, it looks like you're, you're moving into the swagger thing, right? Mm-hmm. Hold mm-hmm. on. Hold that thought for a second, because okay. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why. I wanted to sort of recognize something you said earlier. You said that life is a series of accidents. And boy, congratulations for those accidents because look at look at you, right? Just amazing. Hey, I had nothing to do with me. They happened, yeah. right? I just I just took advantage of them. They yeah. were just you know, presented and, and to another me. Another thing I, I wanted to recognize is that as a musician coming into the the business world, one of the things that that I've seen is that you know musicians don't really understand the business aspect of music. You know, mm. we say music business, but they really just care about music. And music is a very internal thing. They, they sing about how they feel and it's all about them. But business people have to think about how a client feels. Mm-hmm. And I can see in your story, just this short amount you've shared that somehow that's been a thread for you. You've been able to translate the needs of your customer and that's powerful. So given that, tell us where you are today and how you're continuing to do that. And then talk about the swagger part because I know that's where you're going. <laughs> yeah. Well. 
when I, you know, when I started to realize this, this fundamental truth, and by the way, I just want to comment on something that you said, because that's so fun. You know, when you talk about, yes, you know, as a performer and as a songwriter and a musician, it's internal. But for me, one of the things I love the most is when I could see that I was connecting and resonating with the audience. Exactly. That to me, when it clicked, and I remember, you know, when I would do the the, the jazz circuit, I would perform. It was much too. I enjoyed smaller stages. I have to say, you know, I did backing vocal tours with people and stuff, but I liked the smaller gigs so I could really see people, and I loved the ride that I could take them on. Because yeah. I would sing, and then I would make shtick with them, and I would make be funny and do all the kind of stuff, and mm -hmm. I could really control how they felt. And how they experienced what I what I was doing, and that that taught me a lot about the consumer. Exactly, right? The consumer. <laughs> you gotta you gotta work to the consumer. This is just the product, right? Just the pro I was the product, but if the consumer didn't love the product, the product's <laughs> sitting on the shelf. You know? Exactly. I had to be a, I had to be a delicious product for exactly. the consumer. So you know you got to work to that too. Um, so when I had this this aha about this mindset of people, I started to layer into everything that I did, these moments of profound authenticity where I would sort of strip people's layers away and get them to reveal who they were and then allow them to see how others would respond to that. And of course, this is the, this is the secret. People respond beautifully yeah. when you show them who they really are. And you could see those transformational moments. And over the years, people would, would say to me, that changed my life and I'm never going back to the way that I was and it changed my career or I changed my career as a result of it. I, I, would, I would be in meetings 10 years after and, and someone would say, you trained me 10 years ago and I'll never forget what you told me. I'll never forget what you said to me and stuff. And we were winning awards for learner impact and all of this stuff. And I understood that it was because of that. That was, that was really the ethos of my, my company's called Combustion. And that was the ethos of, of what, the company was, it was creating experiences that allowed people to see who they really were, what their true potential was. Is that how you define swagger? Uh, the way that I define swagger is the ability to manifest who you really are and hold on to it in the face of all of that psychological crap that's going to come for it, regardless of situation or environment. So Whoa. you are you and the world around you cannot change you. You will not change for it, and it cannot change you. This doesn't mean arrogant, show off, in your face, peacocking, none of that. You can be introverted and gentle and quiet and all of those things and still have the most badass swagger on the planet. You know, okay? what, you know what I like about this concept that you have, you know, this, the swagger approach, the being yourself almost as a, a strength versus what may be perceived by you as a weakness and all that stuff, right? What I really love about it is that if you flip it, swagger can be your best marketing strategy on the planet because, you know, nobody else can be like you, right? Yes. And so when you show up as you, guess who's unique? Guess who's yes. powerful? Guess who cannot be replaced? Right. So I, I keep telling every entrepreneur on the planet as an example, exactly. you know, they're talking about differentiating your brand and figuring out your brand identity and all of this. You know, I want to build my personal brand. I'm like, dude, dude, just be you. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's only one you by yeah, definition. Yeah. It's original. you got to step into it fully. Yeah. And now you don't got to, you know, this whole fake it till you make it thing makes me crazy. It is the worst thing you can do for yourself. It's the worst piece of advice and it's the worst prison you can build for yourself. 
Because here's the thing about fake it till you make it, okay? Mm. As soon as you pretend that you're all that, as soon as you pretend that you got it all figured out, that you got it all covered, you absolutely limit your ability to go and ask for some freaking help. <laughs> you limit your ability to, to tap into the people around you to make you better. Because we're all, we all do it because we think it gives the illusion of confidence or, or it, it's going to make us more confident. But here is the thing about confidence. Confidence is as a result of competence. You cannot have confidence without competence. When you have done something a whole bunch of times, a whole bunch of times, you get to the point you say, oh, okay, I know what I'm, I know what I'm talking about here. I can do this thing. I'm, I'm yeah. you know, pretty good at it. And now you have confidence. But the thing, the problem is that when you are trying to do something new or different, you go right into fake it till you make it because you don't have that thing called confidence. Mm -hmm. What swagger dictates is you don't do that. What you move to is self-belief, mm. which is very different. Self-belief is not based on competence. Yeah. It's based on this unerring, unflinching, unapologetic feeling that no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. You know, yeah. you can take a leap off the cliff. You might bounce. You might hit a few branches on the way down. You might fly. You might float, whatever. But you're not going to die. You know, you know, a yeah. lot of people, a lot of people listening right now might say she is speaking to my life. She's literally singing my song, but I still don't know how to get started. Right. I, okay. I don't know what mindset tweaks I need to start to make the first moves toward my own swagger. If you were to sort of step into their mindset, could you share what they may need to think about or do differently to start to have some of the self-belief that you're describing right now? Well, the first thing I find is to start to start to work through who you think you really are. That can be work in and of itself. It's to strip away all the artifice, all the crap. And yeah. my advice always is go and talk to a friend of yours who you've had since 10th grade. Mm. When you were already kind of formed as a person. Yeah. And but you're still friends with. So they've seen you across your whole life. That person's not going to blow no smoke up your patootie. They're going <laughs> to tell you for real and ask them, when you think of me, what do you think of? What do you, you know, what do I represent to you? Why have we been friends all of these years? You know, what's the value in it? And all the rest of it. Then go and talk to someone who's known you you know, um, who's known you for, you know, half that amount of time, who's known you for 10 years or something, and say, ask me, you know, when, when you think of me, what do you, what do you think of? And then go and talk to someone who knows you only in a professional capacity. They only know you from work. Ask them, when you think of me, what do you think of? And look for what I call the swagger gap. Ooh. How far apart are all of those opinions? Because it shows you how you've gotten disconnected from who you really are, because I, I bet you who you really are is the 10th grade friend's perception, because they mm -hmm. know the truth, because you are unfiltered, un, you know, unfaky when you're with them. Yeah. So that's the first thing. And then you got to have a little talk with yourself and say, hmm. Besides, we all know, we all hear the voice in our heads. We all know. Okay. So that's, that's one little thing we can do. But the other thing is to recognize what is stopping you, what's getting in your way. And I created this concentric circles model to make it really, really easy for people mm -hmm. to understand. So I want you to visualize this with me, okay? Let's visualize this. 
we are stuck in this ball in the middle. And we're surrounded by five concentric layers or circles. I call them blockers, five concentric blockers. And that's the thing that separates who we really are on the inside from the outside world. Mm -hmm. So let's take the outside layer first, and we're going to work back into uh, who we are. The outside layer that separates us, first one, is persona. Mm. It's that story we tell ourselves about the, the, the way we've got to show up in the world. I got to dress like this. I got to talk like this. I got to walk like this. I got to pretend to be like this. All of those things that you think are necessary, cost of entry for you to find success. Okay. Yeah. So every morning you put on that heavy coat of bull crap and you drag yourself into your, you know, your public facing world. And it's a heavy burden to bear all day long. And you know that you cannot wait to get home and take off the coat. Like a woman wants to take off her bra at the end of the day. We all know that. Okay. So persona is the first blocker. The next layer in is ambition. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. I am all about ambition. I consider myself to be an ambitious person. However, if you're not careful, ambition can be a massive swagger blocker because ambition dictates that you are always looking up towards the next rung of the ladder. You're mm -hmm. always thinking about what's coming next, ascension, up there. How do I get up there? How do I get ahead? How do I get up there? When we focus too much on that, it means by definition, we're not focusing inwards or to the left and right of us or down below us to our followers. So we're not considering the people who are our peers who can help and support us. We're not considering the followers who can lift us. And we're focusing too much on what's happening up there. So instead, you got to focus on being in your place of excellence. Just be the biggest badass that you can be for in, in what you do. Be open to the feedback of others. Be generous to your supporters. And you will discover that the world will lift you. You know, keep your, keep your eye on, on a prize, but don't fixate on what's next because that won't do it for you. But here's the thing. So when you, when you worry about ambition, then you get very stuck in, well, okay, well, if I don't walk a certain way or talk a certain way or do a certain thing, I'm not going to get the opportunities. I, people won't, won't take me seriously. It won't be credible. And thus, I will not succeed. So now you have ambition reinforcing persona. Mm -hmm. Next layer in is insecurity. Insecurity is all the what ifs. That's all it gives you is the what ifs. It's like the podcast from hell that never stops playing in your head. <laughs> so episode 876 is the same as episode four. And it's basically, well, what if I don't show up a certain way? What if I don't put that, that persona code on? What if I don't try and, you know, get to the next level? What if I don't impress people? What if, what if, what if? And there are no answers. There is just the churn. Mm -hmm. So now you have insecurity reinforcing ambition, which is reinforcing persona. Next layer in is fear. Fear is the answer to the what if. What if I don't walk and talk and do blah, blah, blah? Bad things are going to happen. Because the brain operates on a better safe than sorry kind of switch. Mm -hmm. So we would rather assume that bad things are going to happen than accept, accept uncertainty. And insecurity loves uncertainty. It's going to keep you there all day long. So the, the fear thing, the what, the what if, what if what will happen is our brains will naturally assume that the worst will happen. Bad things are going to happen. And I do this with, with, you know, with my clients where I say, okay, so let's break it down. What's the worst thing that can happen? And I swear to God, Dr. Play, every time the story ends with, and then I'm homeless on the street. <laughs> I'm like, okay whoa. 
at what point did this cease to be realistic? And it's usually if someone gave me the side eye or someone said no to the deal or someone said, well, that's like the worst thing that could happen. So now you got fear, reinforcing insecurity, reinforcing ambition, reinforcing persona. Last layer in, which is the doozy, is pain. Because pain is proof. Pain says, oh, I tried that one time. <laughs> it did not go well. And I still have the scars to prove it. And that's why it's the, the layer that's closest to us. Because pain is proof. Yeah. And, it, and it literally becomes scar tissue. And we use it as a reminder because we want to move away from pain. Yeah. Anything we can to move away from pain. First of all, I have to say that your model is not only very complete, but listening to it, really powerful because people need to recognize that we are psychology in motion. Like we are mm -hmm. literally walking around brains. <laughs> you know, I have this joke that some people look at a cow and see a cow. Other people see Burger King. You know, it's like you know, we are brains walking around with psychology and you're addressing psychology at every single tier in your model. I love that. But on that note, what is next for you in terms of something you're excited about? I mean, I know the book is coming out. Tell us about that and tell us how people can reach you, get the book and so forth so that they can connect with you. Okay. Well, this book is kind of like if, if you like my jam, this book is like me on a page. It is. Yeah. That's what I've been told. It just translates directly to, to my stuff. Um, the book comes out May 10th. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get it at all the big groovy, you know, um, booksellers. And the, the full title is Swagger, Unleash Everything You Are and Become Everything You Want. Ooh. You can also join my Swagger Collective. And then you get all kinds of swagger swag and fun things. What's a like, Swagger I, Collective? That sounds swagger very interesting. <laughs> well, I want to build um, a community of of like-minded people, because we're all going to need a place to practice. Everyone's going to need a, a place where um, everybody is supporting everybody else's swagger journey because it is an ongoing journey. It never ends. Yes. I, I got to tweak my swagger every day. My swagger ebbs and flows. It slips. I got to regain it. It is an ongoing journey, but Absolutely. a very worthwhile Absolutely. one. And so um, right now, my Swagger Collective, for example, I spend I spending time on Clubhouse lately. I don't know if you're if you're I've on heard Clubhouse. of Clubhouse and I've gotten Dude. it out finally, but I'm thinking that's a thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you and me are going to co-host a Clubhouse. For okay, we are going to have it. so much fun doing it. So that's a place, for example, where we talk. The Swagger Collective is is on Clubhouse. But I also am sharing, like I just built a really cool, fun swagger, proof of swagger assessment that I'm sending to everybody in my collective. Uh, if you join my collective, you also get the first chapter of my book right away. It's awesome. awesome. So there's going to be stuff. I'm just, I, it's a way to, to communicate directly. You know, it's my community. And I do, I'm not a big on the whole, you know, subscribe to my newsletter and I'm going to, you know, spam your ass forever. No, it's only <laughs> if I have a thing. So yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a very kind of open and, and, and loving place and, and a place where you can feed back to me as well. Um, to see more about what I do, my swagger coaching practice and, um, and things like that, you can go to lesliem.com or swaggerthebook.com to learn more about the book. And those oh, that's are ways already into been, my it's world. Already, it's already out there. The website is there now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you kidding me, dude? Let me tell you. We, we have to talk content marketing up the yin air. I tell you. I'm okay, a girl you know what, with game. You know what? You know what? Okay, so we're going to have all those things uh, sort of wherever the show notes are going to be. But I've been itching to ask you uh, one more question about you and about yes. your swagger. Because... Yes. Your swagger is rocking, right? If we could use some old school, you know, because we come from music, right? Yeah. What do you mean by being a chief fire starter? And how does that connect 
with combustion training. I'm hearing a little mm -hmm. bit of a, a connection there. But what yeah, do you it's mean all, by well, that? It's all about fire, baby. It's all about <laughs> fire. The thing about about uh, combustion is the process of combustion is that uh, um, you need you need a spark, you need oxygen, and you need um, you. So you need heat, spark, oxygen to create flame. Flame then can create combustion. What we wanted to be were the steps. We wanted to, to be the thing that could create that combustion for you because you need all of those, all of those things. And um, if you, you know, if you want to, if you want to set yourself on fire, you're going to have to go through this process of, of making sure that you have the spark, you have the oxygen and so on. I am the chief fire starter because I want to blow stuff up. That's what I do. I blow people apart and then put them back together with love. That's I'm all about love, but I am known um, for being dynamite. That's, that's who I am. And, I, and, you know, we were, we were talking about before about, um, you know, um, purpose and passion and stuff. And the way that I see it is it's not, it's not as simple as passion or about purpose. Mm -hmm. It's recognizing what your unique ability is. What's the one thing that you can do better and differently than everybody else? And how do you make that work for you? Because if you make it work for you, you make it work for the world. Yeah. And for me, my, my unique ability is unleashing human potential. That is my jam. Well, you know, not only is it your jam, I can see it makes you happy. Oh, so <laughs> the happiest? It makes the happiest. It makes, it makes you literally just like happy to do these things you're talking about and i think on that note i think the idea of happiness being a part of your profit isn't that just fun isn't that sort of the life you're living right now you know you you, you we know that it's it, it can sound like folly to say pursue your passion mm -hmm. that's why it's it's to say well, even within the realm of your passion, what's the thing that you can do differently and better than anybody else? Because if you can figure that out, you can also figure out who's going to want that. Yeah. Who is going to want that? Somebody will want that. And if you identify that, ooh, there might be more than one or five or a hundred or a thousand people, mm -hmm. now you understand a way that you're going to be able to make your passion profitable. Yeah. Right. You've got to have swagger to do that because you've got to, by definition, differentiate yourself and own who you are fully. But it doesn't you know, you don't have to be a genius to be an entrepreneur. You have to recognize that you've got something. Is there a consumer need? Where is the point of intersection? And how are we going to make this work for everybody? Yeah. Because I made a, I made a vow when I was building my training company from nothing. I said I will never take anyone's money if I do not believe that they will benefit from this training. Either they don't have the culture that's going to support it. They don't have uh, they don't have the right people for it. They're trying to mess with my recipe because they think they know better. Yeah. They're trying to, you know, exploit it in some way, shape, or form. Or, or I don't believe in their values or, you know, or what they stand for as a company. And I said, no, 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 a whole bunch of times. And it cost me a whole bunch of bucks. But you know what? still made a lot of money, <laughs> still made a lot of money from doing yeah. what I, what I did. And the reputation was spotless because people knew we were there for them a hundred percent. So that's understanding your being your purpose, understanding your unique ability, having passion for it and recognizing and respecting the customers who are going to appreciate it. You know, I always try to explain to people what profitable happiness is. And you've just, you've just been my teacher today. You've taught me that the link is swagger. <laughs> Always. The, the slick is always swagger. Happiness is swagger. That's swagger's what makes everything. it all happen. 
Leslie, I can't tell you enough how I just enjoy learning actually from people that I talk to and you've been a great teacher. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show. I appreciate it. It was so delicious. And this is not the last time we will hang, my friend. Absolutely. I, I just have a feeling. Have, a feeling. <laughs> have a wonderful day, okay? Thanks, you too. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Happiness Podcast. For more episodes, visit drpalay.com. And remember, get happy first and success will follow.